What's up, my beautiful Crips and Walkers? Today is Wednesday, April 21st, 2021. For some of you, I hope you had a great 420. <laughs> and today we are going to discuss my thoughts on the Derek Chauvin trial verdict and how that plays into racism, ableism, and the lifestyle of disability and everything in between. Coming right up on Handy Slapped. Welcome back, everyone. Okay, so yesterday was a big day in the American judicial system, public opinion, and just America in general. We had the uh, trial verdict for Derek Chauvin, who is the charged murderer of George Floyd from a year ago in Minneapolis. Now, obviously, we know all about that case. It was all over the news that sparked another huge movement in civil rights, um, some of the biggest we've seen in decades. And yesterday, after a few weeks of uh, the trial over in Minneapolis, um, we know um, things like this take forever. You know, any kind of legal case, whether it's murder, rape, sexual abuse, it always just, it's the waiting that's likely the worst part. Just waiting for the evidence, waiting for um, all the information to be accounted for, to be uh, prosecuted and all that jazz. It's just, the waiting is insane. And after a few weeks of back and forth from both sides, um, and only two days, this is my first critique, only two days of jury deliberation, they come to a verdict and what to do with Derek Chauvin. Um, for those that don't know, he got um, charged on all three counts that he was given. He was charged with second degree unintentional murder, followed by, let's see here, um, second degree manslaughter and third degree murder. Not in that order, but you see the point. You add all this together he could face up to 40 years in prison alone for the second-degree murder, up to 25 years for the third-degree murder, and up to 10 years for the second-degree manslaughter. You add that all up, 75 years he could potentially be facing. And, well, uh, a lot of people are saying that the prosecution did their job and they did it well. Um, I was watching some uh, commentary as we were awaiting the verdict mid-afternoon yesterday on 420. And, you know, I'm listening to the commentary and they're saying things like the prosecution and the, uh, uh, the court themselves did a fantastic job of separating justice legalities from the public opinion and trying their best to keep politics out of this. Do I agree with that? Not entirely, no. Obviously, there's some politics and public opinion merged into how this case was handled. And I go back to my first point and how quickly the turnaround was in the jury verdict. 
And, you know, when you have such a quick turnaround, that's not good for the defense. <laughs> I mean, you got all these weeks leading up to what the jury is going to come to. And I was thinking it wouldn't be till the end of the week, of this week, like Friday or something. Um, but not just 36 hours later, at the least. I mean, that, that right there, it just shows that they just brushed right through it. And I know what we're going to say. People are thinking, we saw the video. Yes, we've all seen the video. We all saw the guilt. I'm not going to deny that. I think the charges were fine. You know, um, there's not much else you could really do. In fact, at the beginning of the trial, the one of the first things they did was show the video of Officer Chauvin on top of George Floyd that we've all seen on social media. And to make their point further, that right there, because we've all seen it already, uh, it's inevitable that they were going to do guilty on all charges. Personally, my bet was the manslaughter, or at the very most, uh, the second degree unintentional murder. Um, was my betting on all the charges to be guilty? Not necessarily, but at the same time, I am not surprised whatsoever. Um, what does this mean for all of us? Well, the left has been um, very happy of this, of course. I mean, most people probably are, you know, uh, based on the activity coming out of the response to the verdict. And um, I'm seeing friends on both sides of the political and social spectrum uh, sharing their uh, happy thoughts on it and how proud they are of the prosecution for what they've done in turning this around so quickly after a couple of days, you know, and to decide he is guilty on all three charges. It's by no means a surprise. And so it's hard to say because um, they were both at fault. I'm just going to lay that out there. They were both at fault. George Floyd has had his reasonings for being arrested. That's a given. But the way it was handled is obviously uh, very unprofessional and very much police brutality. So I'm not going to say one side was correct. I'm not going to completely defend Derek Chauvin for his extreme police brutality. <clears throat> Excuse me. And for his behavior on that day, it was horrible. We've all seen it. It's completely unjustifiable. You know, and uh, I was listening to other commentaries on it as well. You know, we got the other officers that are there around him, which they will too be tried in August of this year, which is what I heard in some of the reports. So they're not going to be off the hook, even though um, they were kind of trying to help a little bit as well, you know, trying to tell uh, Derek to get off. And, you know, the problem here is his ego. You know, he knew better than to push so hard on him onto George Floyd and to be so aggressive and brutal with him. 
and his fellow officers were telling him to stop. And, you know, his ego, as usual with man, and all of us, as mankind, the ego got in the way. That's the other part of the problem. You know, so we see this as a great example of how both sides of the same coin can go one way or the other. How easy it is, especially with this case, because we have the raw footage of how this can be so easily turned to one side and how we can even take that and manipulate the other side. You know, it just shows how easy and simple it is for social media and even mass media communications to turn one side against the other. And we follow it like sheep. We follow it like it's nothing. There is very little left in the mindset of critical thinking anymore. We just believe whatever we are directed to believe. We just believe, we just believe whatever journalism is persuading us to think and especially what to feel. Because as much as we try our best to be rational and speak out of intelligence, as much as we try to do that, at the end of the day, we are emotional beings. And no matter what we try to do, those powerful raw emotions will get the better of us. And they will sway and cloud our judgment, no matter what the cold hard facts may be. That's just the way we're created. And that's just the way man is in a fallen sinful world that we're going to fall into the traps of uh, ableism and racism. I say ableism because that's a popular term that's very much used among the disabled community, for those that do not know. And it's very easy to fall into victimization. You know, I look back on how this all started recently. You know, you go back to Ferguson, um, Trevor Martin, with all that, that whole fiasco several years ago. And now you got this another big uproar with George Floyd last year in the middle of the pandemic, when the pandemic was reaching new heights. You know, everyone was bottled up. Everyone was completely irritated. It was the perfect storm in the middle of 2020. Throw in the pandemic and mix it with a little bit of social injustice and calls of racism and both parties completely explode, erupting the entire country, erupting through social media, putting our judgments, our clouded judgments, through the lens of the media, making us hate each other and antagonizing one another and dividing us even further. That's the way it's going to be until Jesus comes back. And, you know, I'm following all these things. And being a minority myself, being a uh, wheelchair user with a disease of spinal muscular atrophy, I very much could be 
self-entitled to throw around the use of ableism, saying that people that are non-disabled are systemically discriminatory against all disabled people because of their ignorance on disabled people. See, I can play that card myself as well because as a minority, I can very simply pull out the call of victimization. And the thing is that when we do that, whether it's for racism or ableism or heck, even sexism, the more we try to plead that and the more we try to advocate for that, the more we are counterintuitively pulling ourselves down into being the victim. Saying the woe is me and blaming someone for our problems. Blaming someone for what we're going through. Now hold up there. By no means am I saying that American racism and American slavery was just some belittled thing that happened and now it's over. No. Racism is far from over. Racism is very much far from leaving our current society. I may sound negative to you, but the point is that we all crave some kind of accountability for those who have done wrong against us. Those who have done wrong against our ancestors, the people before us, who have caused so much pain and sorrow and hurt through our family lines, through our racial lines, through slavery or through just the abuse of inferiority, the abuse of being or acting as the superior one in order to create dominance over those who appear or those who look differently than us. To show our pride, to show our control over another. And that is the fault in the heart of man. To show that we are better than others. You know, you got the uh, self-deprecation movement, how sometimes we use our own deprecation to humble ourselves or um, if we go too far, we feel like we're worthless. But we often, as men, get our edge off or uh, we get a kick naturally out of deprecating other people or discriminating them, to make fun of them, to look down on them, to have control and power over them through this power struggle because of our feeling of low self-esteem. To give ourselves more power, to make ourselves look good, to feel good. Because we, all we care about in the brokenness of man is that pride. God's most hated sin is pride. Because we put ourselves into superiority. You know what? It doesn't even matter anymore if it is ableism. 
me thinking I can just call out people that can walk, uh, t making up things that they're better than me, or seeing that people that can walk are ignorant of all the problems with disabled people. And I won't deny that either. I know they are in some ways, but not all of them, not to the point of generalization that I can just simply blame all of my bitterness and struggles on the able-bodied people because they don't understand, man, because they don't understand what I go through. You know, I played that card so many times in my life, um, publicly sometimes, but in my own private encounters or in my own problems where I didn't get what I want or I didn't go through with something I really wanted to happen. I blamed others or I blamed others for my own failures, saying that just because they're not in my situation that they don't understand. While trying to advocate for that, I was meanwhile bringing myself down into victimization, bringing down all other disabled people into victimization, that we're the victims, we're the ones that are unheard. We talked a little bit about that last week, but it all depends on how we perceive it and how we vocalize it. You know, the more we try to talk about our issues, it seems, the more we get off on the feeling of that self-empowerment, you know? Feeling like if we can subconsciously get others to see this minority, regardless of the minority, but to subconsciously feed into the minority themselves and the pe people that are looking at us to make both sides think that we are the victims, then we'll get the praise that we deserve, that we will get the support that we need, that we will get the honor and the pride that we so desperately long for. You know, again, I'm not belittling the problems that go on within multiple minorities whether it's all disabled people, whether it's racism and with black people or Asian people, um, Native Americans or uh, Latinos and Latinas, Hispanics, you know, it's not about that. It's not about these lives matter over the others. It's not about how one race has abused another. We know that from history. But even then, God bless them. And I think about all those that have done racial things, but that doesn't mean it's everyone. Do I reject the notion of systemic racism? Yes, because I do not believe that just because someone is of a particular race, that they are automatically given the card of racist or that they are automatically the victim of racism. 
like I don't believe in automatically repenting of my white privilege or uh, praying to God to remove this racism from me just because I'm born into a different situation. No, it's not about that. And that's a faulty way of observing racism or any kind of ism and how we look at each other. You know, people just want to be right. People just want to be justified. It's not about that either. It's not even about self-empowerment. You know, it's about where do your voices come from? Where does your love come from? And where does your validity come from? Who gives you that empowerment? We focus so much on self-empowerment and how if I can be a certain way and prove it to other people, then I will get the love and validity that I crave so much for. If I can just validate my platform and validate the trauma I went through to validate what I'm going through now and prove it to other people, then I'll be happy. You are chasing your tail, my friend. The self-love and the self-empowerment that we get from the victimization to validate to others that I'm the victim here. I'm starved for all this help and healing from my trauma. Oh, I'm starved, excuse me, for affection. My friend, you are chasing your tail and you are forgetting what it means to truly be loved and valued and validated. We can do all we want to look at those who have hurt us, antagonized us. We can do all we can to fight fire with fire and to try our best to love them. But we don't always use love in the way it is meant to be. Oftentimes with loving our enemies, we do so in a kind of a fake way. We are polite with them, but we still hate them in our hearts because we feel like they have approached us with injustice or that they have done us wrong. We don't really love them. How do we know what love is when we often reject the love of where it comes from, the origin of love? And that is through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. How do we know how to love when we can barely recognize where love comes from? We're told to love our enemies. How do we love our enemies when I've been so abused by them, when my family has been so abused by slave owners, by my abusers, by the abusers through the sins of the father. How do I love and make peace with my past? Let it go and move towards a brighter future.
How do I love those who don't love me, who hurt me, who victimize everything? Those who hate me. How do I love people like Derek Chauvin? How do I love people like the KKK? How do I love people that are ignorant of what I'm capable of? Who make fun of me? Who bring me down? Who belittle me? And that say I'm worthless. How do I love that? When all I want to do is show them what I'm capable of. To show them that I am enough. The false reality of being enough. My mom recently got a great book. Um, I can't remember her name right now, but she was on a podcast from Alyssa Childers. And this book, you can write it down, is called You're Not Good Enough and That's Okay. Why is that okay? Especially right now in the political and sociological climate of trying to prove ourselves that we are enough to prove to ourselves and other people that we will not withstand the injustice and we will use the card of victimization to stand up against it. Power to you to a point, but when you use that, it's never going to be good enough. We never will be, no matter how much we try to prove it, no matter what we do for racism or ableism or victimization, we are called by God through Jesus Christ in the book of Luke chapter six. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for, not about, but pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do for you, do so to them. And Jesus says here, if you love those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? In other words, this is also a cross-reference um, from one of my other favorite biblical passages where this section is paralleled in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then he later says, if you only love those who love you, or in contemporary terms, if you only love liberals because they're a liberal, if you only love Republicans because they're a Republican like you are, or conservatives, or Democrats, if you only love people who think like you, who speak like you, and who look like you, this goes for both sides, black, white, yellow, whoever. If you only love your own tribe, and people who are like you. If you only love Christians because you're a Christian, or atheist because you're an atheist, or Muslim, whatever. If you only love your own self and people like you, what reward do you have? For even sinners, Jesus continues, for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those 
from who you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? In other words, if you only do good to those who do good to you, there is no reward there. The real challenge is loving those who have hurt you, forgiving them and move on. Remember, forgiveness doesn't really always mean reconciliation. Forgiveness in the biblical sense is to love your enemies, make peace about it to God, and let go and move on. And have Christ help you to be better. Not on your own, but to Christ alone. Then can you love your enemies. Then can you love those who hurt you. Or love people within the Black Lives Matter movement. Or anyone who has harmed you. That's what it's all about. Looking at others the way Christ looks at, not just others, but the way Christ looks at you. For no matter how much you try to play the victim card, consciously or subconsciously, Christ still loves you in no matter what situation you're in. In your filthy, sinful rags, Christ still loves you. As you think about this, about the Derek Chauvin verdict yesterday, did he deserve all three counts? Likely. Or I should say almost obviously based on the video we saw. Will he last in prison? I have no idea. But something changed yesterday and in this past year. The accountability has been met. Justice is coming through. Now, I want you to think about how God has given you so much grace and mercy. You know, justice is very different in our eyes compared to God and holiness. God acts on all of it, but in his way. That's above our own understanding. I want you to think about how God has forgiven you and loved you regardless of what you've done. You say, well, I haven't done anything that bad. I haven't hurt anyone, as far as you know. Regardless, you are born into a sinful state. There is sin in you that Christ is willing to forgive on the cross if not already, that you have to be accountable for and receive his forgiveness. Come into the presence of Christ today, I tell you. Come into the cross and fall down to it and surrender of your racism or of your hatred of anyone who looks at you differently. Doesn't matter if you're white, black, or yellow, or disabled. I don't care. Or blue, for that matter. Mm -hmm. I don't care the color of your skin or your badge. Or your ability or disability. You are loved and you are forgiven. And we are to do the same to all of our enemies and those who persecute us. 
Let's pray together, shall we? Jesus, mighty name, gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. Right now, I pray for all those who are hurting, who are very passionate about this case, Lord God, that has shooken up the entire country and beyond, Lord God. That while justice has been served, Lord, there is so much more hatred on both sides of the spectrum, Lord God. So much hatred of minorities, so much hatred of those who feel superior, and so much hatred from those who are superior over the inferior, Lord God. Anytime we look down on someone and think we can control them, that's wrong, Lord God. But it's also wrong of us when we try to put the blame on other people, Lord God. For you know the truth, even though we can't always articulate it. You know the truth, Lord God. And I pray for your justice and your holiness to prevail as always, Lord God. I thank you for all this and for all my listeners, Lord God. Disabled, non-disabled, black, white, yellow, or blue. I pray your grace and your love and your protection over the world. In Jesus' name, Lord God, we pray this. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening to this new episode of Handy Schlapped. I am your host, Jordan Schrader, and I will be praying for all of you. I want to thank you all for listening again, and for anyone that is going through something, God is with you. As always, stay safe, stay classy, of course, and, you know, God bless you. Take care.